0: I'm here with composer, performer, sound poet, Jack Blanc. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. The first question I'd like to tackle is the fact that uh, there's no sort of logical, discernible meaning in the sounds that you produce when performing, quote, sound poetry.
1: Well, actually, I I think my work covers the whole range from work with language meaning, so to say, and with maybe less of language meaning to uh, abstract sound, which maybe is closer to sound art or music. Experimenting with language is, of course much better possible in in, in your own language it's much more difficult or maybe even impossible in in other languages. You should know a language very well before you can try to experiment with it. So most of my uh, experimental language pieces that um, manipulate and play with language are in Dutch and they're uh, very hard to translate. Some of them have been translated. I have re- read them last night. I'm reading them on this tour.
0: But I've read that you've uh, you've actually s- you you seek out sort of language tapes from 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 all sorts of various different languages in order to to learn about perhaps sounds that might be unique to the Koreans. Or yeah,
1: whatever. I I used to do that. I uh, yeah, it's one of my. Uh, sources of um, melody of, uh, of phrases and uh, specific sounds and so yeah the richness of um, different vowel systems for instance or just different systems of consonants in other languages yeah
0: when you ha- when you first encounter someone it's the the non-verbal body language that really communicates things versus what's actually said is, is it I know that you you're very kinetic and movement's an important part of what you do as well but how do you uh, how do you use just sound to convey emotion and uh, and, and you can't communicate meaning though but you can communicate emotions am i right there?
1: well as i said some of my pieces use language so they communicate meaning you touched a a few different subjects one thing is uh, uh, motion and gesture uh, after I'd done in the past a few of experiments in in um, in theater, also using various directors, I felt that uh, any kind of motion or gesture that did not originate in sound didn't feel uh, good for me. Not not like uh, an honest. Uh, I felt I was well. If I had to do a specific thing, uh, just. For the logic of a story and it had nothing to do with sound, I felt like a, a liar. So <laughs> I'm not an actor. Uh, for me, sound is, is the, the most important.
0: The, uh, most, the most genuine, you mean? Or the most, yeah, yeah. The most genuine expression of what yeah. it is you want to yeah. communicate? Yeah,
1: and anything in, in motion or gesture that did not originate in sound or was not necessary uh, for making a sound didn't feel genuine anymore. Uh, or never felt genuine for me and so I, um, in performance I, I, I never make uh, any uh, movements uh, that's not necessary to produce a sound of course uh, some, spontaneously sometimes my hands will make movements but that, it has to do with the sounds that I'm making it's, it's kind of also a, a dialogue between the voice and the hands enhancing the, the things I'm doing this, everything serves production of sound
0: Interesting. So you don't really want to distract from the Mm -hmm. the, the sound.
1: Yeah, and and I think uh, this concentration very much improved my performance in in the sense that uh, it conveys more emotion, has a stronger expression than if I would use uh, all kinds of redundant movements.
0: One of the ambitions of traditional poetry is to express the inexpressible. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is you're not using words; you're using tones and inflections, and in order to con- I would assume to convey feeling and emotion. Is that is that what you're trying to do?
1: I I must say, yeah, I, I hope uh, I convey uh, feeling and emotion to people. Uh, I, it's it's the primary source that it gives me uh, a certain pleasure to invent um, structures. That's very general. Uh, some of the structures I invent are. Just mathematical structures, and they can give me as much pleasure as uh, a poem or uh, or a musical composition that I make with words, with words or with uh, with tones. Or I've written quite a, quite a bit of instrumental music, you usually in combination with the voice. But uh, I've written a lot for, for instruments also. It's, it's the pleasure of uh, of making something new, something that has. A some nice structural invention in it, and then. Um
0: what do you mean by structure? Like, you mean, for example, with a with a mathematical formula. I mean, it, it all works out, right, in the end. Is that something that?
1: Yeah, the the way something is built, you know, the the proportions.
0: But very specifically, mm-hmm. then you mean like short blurting noises, and then longer ones, and then sh- shorter ones that support. Like, what what do you mean by structure?
1: Yeah, structure is very. Uh, a general word, I, I, I cannot, I don't think I can um, define or explain structure uh, any, uh, in a more elementary way than, than the word itself says. <laughs> ok.
0: You have to make some noises. <laughs> ok. So, it's the joy, it's a feeling that you get, you would like to share with others that'll generate pleasure and laughter and... Mm.
1: Yeah, maybe also, it can, can be all kinds of emotions, it can also be sadness people have cried in my performances also for me it's um, the main or maybe the only emotion I feel in performing is the joy of making sound of making music I don't, I don't see much of a distinction between sound and music uh, already Varese said uh, as a definition of music music is organized sound so and there's I'm so many parallels to uh, mathematics too of course as you yeah, said yeah actually because I, I, I concentrate on in a performance, on uh, the intensity of uh, every sound I make, and uh, that that includes not only intensity uh, directly of the sound, but also the timing, the place of it in in the structure that, that I'm building that moment in a performance, because I totally concentrate on that, I think I convey more emotion to, to, to a listener. If I would be very sad while performing, really sad, yeah. people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't feel so good about it. I think it would be like a fake, or a, a, like I can't find the right English word for. Me. Well,
0: the audience would see through the fact that you.
1: a thing if you see a really uh, bad actor trying to uh, simulate something, and and people, you know, the, people, the way people react that to that. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So Dadaism, coming out of the First World War, the the whole absurdity of of our existence. Do you get into any kind of philosophy that motivates why you're doing what you're doing? Any kind of statement, or is it satirical, or making fun of traditional poems?
1: Yeah, but it's that certainly true. But uh, it's always after the fact. After I uh, make a piece, I can say about oh, I, oh, that's. Making fun in a nice way of politics or of some something else. I've never uh, sat down and think. Well, now I'm going to make a piece that makes fun of this, of that, or mm-hmm. it's or that, or makes. No, it's it's just something uh, jumps to my mind. And some pieces I were written very quickly, very spontaneously. Uh, for instance, one piece that well that refers to the to early bebop, especially to the the vitality and. Um, the newness of it, uh, as opposed to uh, neo-bebop, which many jazz musicians are playing now. <laughs> Usually my, my main method to uh, evaluate my own pieces is just to record them for myself, just listen back to myself.
0: Is there, is there sort of a short poem that you could recite from memory that you think is good? And then, Because w- what you've said is you listen back to something that you've done, but I don't know what goes on in your mind to say, well, this is not good enough. Why would it not be good enough? Because of what?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's usually very intuitive. And it, it has to be, because um, the things I make happen, turn out to be so very different from each other uh, that um, the you could never have a, a general rule for, or a set of rules to make uh, make sure if a piece is good or not. It has to give me pleasure.
0: It's, this is one of these things where you listen and you say, "Yes, I yeah. got it." Yeah, that's it. And, and no one else can really. Wouldn't there be some, maybe, some kind of musicality, or just one sound fits really well with another that t- to get you to say, "Oh, yeah. yes,
1: yes, y- yeah," I, I think so. You can, you can. That it has to do with that kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure.
0: But this is not mm. definable.
1: I can sometimes uh, say when I listen to a piece, just this section is boring beca- because it has only three sounds and it, it lasts too long. Something like that. In Those terms you can you can talk about it, right. or, that's, or I sometimes sometimes think about it. Or which you
0: know. really differentiates it from from traditional poetry because that there are such strict rules in traditional written poetry that uh, that everyone would know if it was a. Yeah, if you're talking
1: about really any po- poetry in, in, in a specific meter, I yeah. think, and or a specific form, and number of lines and so on. Yeah, Exactly, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Now that you mention a sonnet, I, I could recite a, a sonnet, a sound poetry sonnet, oh, wonderful. dedicated to um, a Dutch poet who was called Johnny van Dorn. He was a sound poet. Uh, he is from the town where I live, in Arnhem, and at uh, about uh, the age of 16, he dropped out of school and he started to perform sound poetry on the street. Uh, and he called himself Johnny the Self-Kicker well he happened to be born in 1944 we just mentioned you, you mentioned the, um, the, the, this battle bridge uh, too far, far. Yeah. his family lived in Arnhem but uh, in, in September of 1944 there was an ev- evacuation during this battle so, and they went they went to a small village north of Arnhem called Beekbergen and there he was born and so um, I made this sonnet made completely out of um anagrams of, of, of the word uh, the Beekbergen. Oh, yeah. And now for, for Dutch speakers there's some meaning to this. But for you there, w- there won't be any, but anyway it's uh, it's a kind of a portrait of, of this uh, Johnny uh, van Doorn. Uh, can I recite please, it? Please do. Beekbergen. Sonnet for Johnny. Erban gebek gek BWEEKEBEEN! GABAK GABBEEEN! ARBAN GABAK GAK BEERBAN! BWEEKEBEEN! GABAK GABBEEEN! DE BERKE GENE BERGE NA BAK! BEEK! De werken, gingen berg ging en bek. Gebebekeerde brrr en je beek. Kreeg weben. Gebreek ben. Ming. Breek. Kreeg bieten, Gebreek ben. Bing. Breek. Well, to, ex- to, to explain a bit about this, this um, in the first quatrain, you have I uh, sort of um, imitate Johnny and his way of reciting uh, Dutch texts, and then the second you have uh, two persons who criticize him, who go up, uh, move off with your stuff, and uh, and in the, f- the street. Yeah, yeah yeah and then the f- and the, s- the last. He feels the criticism and draws back, and so. On. But but in the last three lines, uh, which are identical uh, to, to the penultimate three lines, yeah. he, uh, he comes back and uh, what? Oh, uh, listen to me. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it uh, the sonnet typically winds up with a with a solution to whatever the yeah. problem might have been in the in the previous uh, yeah. yeah lines. It's interesting because yeah, I could certainly get the back and forth from you uh-huh. uh, and the different characters. I loved the way your voice sort of mm, tailed off like that. It sounded—it was very comforting to listen to that.
1: Uh huh. This was typical of, of 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 his style, especially in his later years. Uh, or actually, not not only in the later years. Yes. I'm
0: exaggerating it a bit. I like it very much, too. So this is a tribute to someone who is well-known? Well, uh, well
1: well-regarded in the sense that literary critics are still divided. He wrote, in in his later life, very nice short stories also and um, texts uh, somewhere semi-autobiographical. And he got uh, well-known because he was in uh, Absurdist TV series... One, one other Dutch writer and uh, a TV producer uh, as a trio. They, they were actually. This was actually in, in the national park you mentioned, Hoge veluwe oh, okay. and uh, the, so this, this. They were in uh, on some sand dunes and they had uh, absurd conversations there. Uh, you and know what's, was, what's so yeah. interesting yeah. is
0: you look like Beckett.
1: Yeah, many people have told me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I still still need more wrinkles. eh? (laughs) Yeah,
0: but uh, you know, when you say you know three of them in a sand dune, I mean it's it's uh, it's, it sounds so much like something Beckett may have Mm. written. But
1: um, talking about about Johnny Van Dorn, like in the sixties, he's created some some scandals. uh, Or when he was he was invited for a poetry reading night in, in a big theater and uh, people started screaming at him oh and booing and something because that. Uh Just because
0: they thought it was so... It didn't make any sense. It was yeah. nonsense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Now, when you delivered that poem, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make some sense to, to the Dutch people or not?
1: Yes, but only if they hear it. And when they read it, they usually don't get it. But
0: what they hear uh, is is what we've discussed. This is sort of like a back and forth between Uh, two people who are criticizing this sort of bum on the
1: street. Yeah, and then it it helps that most of them know who he was and what I'll explain before reciting the piece um, I'll just briefly talk about him.
0: Again, one of the key differences obviously is well, first of all, pretty well all poetry is best consumed by listening to it. But with your work, you can't consume it any other way yeah I'm I'm
1: not sure um, if I agree with that I think there's a lot of poetry that's better read on paper also because a lot of poetry phrases have more than one meaning and, and in many cases it makes a difference for how you would read them when you read them aloud you can only illustrate one sense well, and and good things have been done about that. With that also, I uh, you could there's lots of poetry that that uh, would benefit by uh, repeated reading. I've seen some films made uh, with where uh, some poets, some poems were read, maybe six or ten times, and they came back on the soundtrack, and uh, started to get richer and richer, especially when it's, uh, well...
0: But just uh, by emphasizing different e- words or e- different... Yeah, band.
1: or even, uh, s- in some cases, the same recording of the poem was used over and over again, but it started to to bloom.
0: How do you mean by that?
1: The picture I was thinking of right now was um, about a, a Dutch poet, Gerrit Kauwenaar, who is probably not so well-known, but he's considered one of the best poets right now in, in Holland, still alive, he's about 80 now. His poetry is considered difficult, hermetic sometimes, you know. There was a great film everyday everyday uh, shots of people staying in holiday um, bungalow uh, somewhere in the woods in France, and uh, you, you see them walking, taking breakfast, and but you, do, you don't hear, or the sounds of, of that are just very very soft. But over all these ordinary activities, the poet recites a few of his poems. I think the film is probably an hour or 70 minutes or so, and there was only, I think, six or seven uh, different poems uh, in it, so they come back and alternate. And, uh, so six yeah. or
0: seven different poems? Constantly yeah. be read?
1: Yeah, with long pauses.
0: And the, the emphasis was exactly the same. It wasn't that they were playing around with that. Uh, in
1: this case, not, I think. No? no. Yeah.
0: You found that by listening to it repeatedly, that it became... The impact was very strong, but, much stronger. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'm talking to uh, Jop Blanc, who's a composer and a sound poet, performer. We talked about the fact that you're, what you're conveying it isn't necessarily meaning as much as feeling and emotion. That's been the criticism of, of traditional poetry as well, that it's so... Obtuse and difficult to understand, and uh, I just wonder what your thoughts are on on the fact that you're not using recognizable words. Mm. traditional poets are yeah, and yet the <laughs> challenge for the audience is to try and determine some sort of meaning is is quite similar.
1: Mm. I w- first want to refer to to what you said about traditional poetry being found difficult, um, I think it has to do with life itself. I think many people want to make life easier and more well-defined. They want answers. Uh, yeah, they want answers. They want uh, simple answers. Good poetry is not looking for simple answers. It's, it's looking for the richness of of, um, of the whole Life complexity. and uh, it can say one thing and, and at the same time the opposite, which is actually, if you in life, almost very often the case. So, I think that's uh, maybe the reason many people don't want anything to do with, uh, with good poetry or because it's, uh, it's not giving simple answers,
0: <laughs> it's not straightforward. Uh-huh. Uh, you think that's why some of these pioneer sound poets were yelled off the stage is because people were annoyed Mm. that they weren't getting the answers that they felt they needed? Oh, oh,
1: yeah, definitely. I uh, still now, um, people sometimes get annoyed at at my performances and they want to know what I mean by all this. Whereas, uh, for instance, if I perform for for kids, at least until a a certain age, like ten or so, they don't ask uh, what do you mean? They... Uh, have all kinds of em- imaginations, and they, uh, they join uh, in. The, yeah, they join in. And, and I did this little book, which came out of several years of performing in, at elementary schools. And I had this sound poem, which I recited about three minutes, and more or less the same. After this, the, the kids were asked to write down what they thought it was about, uh, without talking to each other. was just right after the, the recitation I did. And the most wonderful stories came out of that. We made a little book out of uh, no. selection of of those stories and the strangest things are totally different
0: <laughs> what you're really doing is just igniting their imaginations, uh-huh, yeah, you're not telling them what to think
1: and that's one that's one of the the nicest things about sound poetry I think you you it can be liberating it can ignite yeah the the imagination and it's not using words to, to define uh, what you th- should be thinking about or
0: one of the things that you've said is that good sound poetry is direct communication without the obstacle of words mm-hmm. that you're using the sounds of real life to convey uh, emotions
1: yeah and that's what you say the sounds of real life um, distinguishes it also from um, most forms of singing that which belong to certain art forms of certain styles and are very much stylized and do not do not use the sounds of everyday life.
0: What do you mean by the sounds of everyday life? Like ums and ahs and burps? and I don't burps.
1: Don't <laughs> hmm? hum? Eh? <laughs> Sounds that kids make or uh, any sounds that people make uh, outside the meaningful words they use.
0: Sounds of uh, exasperation, uh, or yeah, or sounds like extreme uh, uh,
1: uh, of uh, surprise, or um, yeah, uh, they all belong to to the vocal repertoire of, of, of human beings, and uh, but they are shut out from from, from any form, usually of, of of singing.
0: It sounds like what you're doing is you're taking uh, a ground that exists between singing and talking. Mm-hmm. It's an an important one when you think of how much is conveyed uh, non-verbally mm. when we communicate. Yeah. Uh, by that I mean non-logically verbally. There is a huge amount of communication that takes place when we use our voices, but when we, we're not saying things mm-hmm. in any particular language.
1: Sure. And besides that, there's also, of course... Um uh, when you are using words um, the way you say them can convey sometimes more than the words themselves uh, I, I use this a, a lot in performances and programs I did uh, with uh, uh, presenting texts by by other poets I'm not doing that so much anymore but I, and I did it mainly in in Holland's work of some well-known uh, Dutch poets sometimes um, using the texts as as a basis for vocal I- improvisation not even changing the text but um, for instance one word could be a whole minute long you could
0: say yeah. it in different ways Many, different many, ways. many
1: different ways and different pitches and different timbres and different uh, volume and anyway uh, it was almost as if the text was uh, like in jazz you have chord changes to, to improvise on and the, the text would be my chord changes and I would fly over it not, not changing the text
0: and no. I suppose you get a different many many different reactions to all the different ways you've, you you uh Oh
1: yeah 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 when when I did the work of one uh Famous Dutch poet Luciebert. People were coming up to me after performances. Does he know you are doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I was happy to be able to say, yes, he does, and he loves it. <laughs> you're not making fun of it, though. You're, no, no. But I, you're, you're
0: I, just pro- you're just showing the world yeah. how many different ways yeah. it can be interpreted. Yeah, not even using language or your your logical brain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but more the other side of your brain. I would think.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a combination of both improvisation which I love to do with the voice also kind of a subtle equilibrium between uh, intuitive processes and um, a conscious sense of structure I oscillate between moments in an improvisation of more just letting things happen subconsciously, com- coming up, whatever, mm-hmm. and using uh, compositional uh, processes in, in an improvisation so that I would consciously uh, have uh, an interplay of two or different, two or three different phrases which I uh, individually change and they come back. and So then, then it's on a very conscious level and then it goes back into something very intuitive. So.
0: It strikes me as being very appropriate that uh, you as a Dutchman would be world-renowned at this, because the Dutch and the the language is so... uh, Not guttural, but it it seems to me that you probably use a much wider range, many more parts of your mouth Uh than I might. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. It has been observed uh, there our languages that have a, a, m- a much more limited range or number of, of sounds. I know, if I've been talking to people, uh, Spanish as their mother tongue, and they have only five vowels, you know, uh, a, e, i, o, u, and they are very straight. And if I say u, they, they want to know, is it what is this? Is this o or is it? Ooh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, not, it's just ü. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a simple example, but uh, it's true that in in, in Dutch, uh, both the vowels, uh, there is all kinds of strange diphthongs, and uh, vowels can go uh, go anywhere. For instance, compared to German, where v- vowels are very straight and there are almost no diphthongs, uh, they break them into two gea or the little gea. It's always this break, and then on the consonant side, there's um, a lot of different. Sounds in Dutch. There's this piece you could also refer to, um, in Rhotic. It's R H O T I C, and that deals with the different forms of the uh, pronunciation of the R.
0: Sorry, is that a poem of yours? Or it's a s-
1: yeah. Poem? You could pull it, call it a sound poem. I call it a phonetic etude. Okay.
0: Etude in this case. Yeah,
1: just, I I made a few um, what I call phonetic etudes, each one of them concentrating on the just one phoneme or a, a small group of phonemes. There's another one called Frictional. It's about the uh, uh, unvoiced fricatives, or like f- sh- the hissing sounds. Okay. And uh, they're all on, on this... Um, on the site, so we side, can link yeah, to them. On the web, yeah. Google Web, yeah. Web, yeah. And okay. another one called uh, Labior, L A B ior which is more about the lip sounds there's maybe four um, m- very different um a pronunciation for for the letter r we uh, some languages have the, um, the rolled r some of the uh, uh, guttural, uh, like French, or uh, and then English has more like a or a depending on how American <laughs> you yeah, want to yeah, sound. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all of these forms uh, uh, occur in Holland, uh, and, and all are accepted as understandable and acceptable pr- uh, pronunciation of the letter R. So I, I, I don't know of a- any other language that would have this variety, this range.
0: Just to close up, then, you do obviously have an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. So so that, I would assume, took you in that direction. The love of using it, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a gift. It came out even before I ever started to train the voice.
0: Then, what about in general, you know, why does sound poetry exist?
1: That's a di- difficult question. <laughs> I sometimes tell uh, people... Uh, we ask ask, what, what is older, poetry or sound poetry? And uh, I say, sound poetry is older, and I can prove it. Show me the man who was the first poet on earth, and in his first year of his life he was a sound poet. Well, that's a joke. Several causes or reasons why sound poetry exists. I think sound poetry, there's uh, lots of old, ancient ritual formulae that you could call sound poetry, and there's probably reasons of... Uh, That the stature of such texts would be above the understanding of humans would have to be to make them holy. Uh, There are even theories that poetry originated in those texts and um, only uh, took on meaning much later. Hmm. So that it was the origin of poetry would have been uh, rhythmic and sacred chanting. Yeah,
0: those would be recorded using some sort of uh, notations for. What, do, what would you call it what, what, like how, do you, how would you you mean that's how
1: they record it nowadays or h- how uh, those rec- those things that's were of y- course uh, there's well notes there's g- f- but
0: how do you s- write down a, a, a sound poem
1: I, I'd like to go back to the, the, the previous question Well, what would be the reasons for making sound poems sure, just okay. one reason creating uh, okay. ritual text but um, uh, for instance the reason Hugo Ball gave um, in 1916 when he started writing sound po- uh, poems um, in, the, in the Cabaret Voltaire was. Uh, he said our modern European languages talking about French, uh, English and German are polluted now and dirty because of the, the amount of war propaganda that has been made in them the time mm-hmm. leading up to the First World War was um, the war was something that would be glorious for uh, for, for the for the English also and the do- the Germans talked about the frische fröhliche Krieg, a fresh and ga- and, and joyful uh, war. He didn't want anything to do with those languages anymore. They, they were De-
0: no longer debased.
1: D- yeah, they were debased, and we, they had to invent a new and pure language mm-hmm. in order to be able to write pure poetry. So that was his motivation to to r- write his uh, sound poems.
0: Language that wasn't necessarily run by logic, but that was more guttural or instinctual or emotional.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I, he didn't specify anything like that. He, he just uh, said we have to invi- invent new languages, and uh, not talking not only talking about his his own mm. invented language, but um, also th- what others were doing another motivation would be um, the Dadaists had the attitude towards traditional art we have to break the rules, we have to throw everything overboard, so we have also to to break the laws of of language and uh, one of the causes that society is not right is is the way language functions and the way language can be made to force people to do things and laws and whatever so uh, we have to, to break the laws of language and come back to, yeah, a more pure and innocent uh, way of com- communication.
0: The way we communicated before language, like, like cavemen. Yeah,
1: maybe. Animals. Uh-huh. When, when people ask for me for a definition of sound poetry, it's so, well, it's hard to make a, to, to give a definition, but I think it's poetry where the sound is more important than, than the meaning, of than the language meaning. So. Because for me, sound poetry not only includes poetry that's totally without meaning, and probably here uh, in North America, people would call it text sound work. I text? May, T-E-X-T? T- yeah, T-E-X-T hyphen sound. I, I think it may have been Richard Kostalanis who, who coined that term. He had this uh, very nice anthology, uh, text sound, text that she published, and in the anthology are pieces that have no meaning at all, or even use graphic signs, uh, but also a lot of pieces that play with language. And they, are they
0: using words? They're
1: using words a lot, yeah. But yeah.
0: they're all jumbled up and not in any particular order? Or oh,
1: sometimes there are whole phrases, but what all those pieces have in common is that actually they're meant to be heard rather than, than read, and, and the sound is actually more important than, than the meaning even though the meaning still plays a part, but the sound is is the the primary thing.
0: Just the pleasure of listening to the human voice?
1: Anthology includes a few uh, computer-generated, synthesized uh, Mm -hmm. texts also.
0: (laughs) Again, sort of moving into music then, Uh the, the the, the gap between poetry and music. How do you ensure that the sound poem that you've written can be performed exactly the way you want it to be performed by someone else? Oh, shall. that's
1: not possible. Now, well, the first reason of it being that um, the voice of, of any human being sounds different.
0: These are works of art.
1: Yeah, yeah. To some extent, you can give very, very elaborate directions to make it uh, recognizable as the same piece, sure, as possible. I use um, a, a notation system that um, uses the International Phonetic Alphabet as its basis, and, and a lot of additional symbols that I invented for sounds that are not in the International Phonetic Alphabet. And then uh, in addition to that, more instructions for pitch, for tempo. Sometimes I will write those as, as instructions with the piece, or sometimes I use more conventional notation, like mu- strict musical notation, rhythmically or with pitch, or graphic s- notation to give a more general idea of uh, how certain parameters should move, uh, like pitch or volume or timbre.
0: Finally, the English, who who do you think are the, quote, best, or some of the the most accomplished sound poets in the English language?
1: Amanda Stewart from Australia, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Yeah, she's a very accomplished sound poet. She's um, recognized worldwide as uh, one of the most important. But she makes a mixture of semantic texts and, um, and abstract or non, non-semantic voice sounds she uses. Most of her pieces are multi-tracked pieces where she would record maybe two or three tracks and present them live with uh, the live voice as, as, as an additional or third or fourth uh, track. Paul Dutton from Toronto. Uh, D-U-T-T-O-N. And he's uh, also recognized as um, one of the world's leading sound poets.
0: Well, that, uh, that gives us something to start on, in addition to your website. Can you give us the address of your website?
1: Yeah, it's www.yapblonk.com Oh, that's easy. Blanc just written uh, as one word.
0: Well, uh, thank you so much for shedding some light on the sound poem.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure.